And that was the last night I ever drank because I woke up the next day and I said, this is not who I'm gonna be. I was gonna turn 29 soon and I said, I'm gonna be 30. And if I keep going down this path, I don't, I'm not gonna be the woman at 30 years old that I believe I am. Then I, I stopped drinking and then I started taking prescription medication because I thought, you know, okay, well, I still need to take the edge off, acting, my addiction, my abuse of alcohol. I couldn't respect myself and I also couldn't trust myself. And those were two things that I was not comfortable with. Welcome to the shame game. Shame thrives in secrecy, but loses all its power when we bring it to light. This show is all about embracing vulnerability and finding connection through our shared experiences of shame. In each episode, we'll talk with a new guest where we'll dive into their stories and experiences and learn how to break free from shame and love ourselves just that little bit more. So sit back, relax, and let's get ready to play the shame game. Hello, beautiful people. I am so excited about today's episode. We have a beautiful, beautiful guest. Her name is Whitney Walker. Whitney is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in addiction, eating disorders, trauma, and spirituality. She also works as a recovery coach and spiritual guide. Whitney incorporates spiritual concepts into her work, including the return of the divine feminine to our world and moving from a place of fear to love, releasing self-destruction and rejection to embrace unconditional self-love and acceptance. Whitney has her own podcast called Women Awaken and her business and vision for the future is all about helping helping women awaken. So welcome, Whitney. Hi, Eleni. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here today because what we're going to talk about is basically your story about shame. So this whole series is all about owning our shame, learning from our shame, releasing our shame, and then growing from our shame. And I know that with you, you've basically used your shame to catapult you into really the work that you're doing today. But before we get onto that work, let's just go right back. So if you could take us back to tell us about what was going on for you um, when you first experienced deep shame? Thank you, Lenny, and thank you for having this podcast. Shame is such an important topic to address and such an important thing to bring to the forefront because it truly is something that festers deep within almost everybody. And it's a um, very dangerous thing to have festering because what shame breeds is really a um, a disconnect from the self, a rejection of the self, a almost a hatred for the self. And I can speak, say that because that's pretty much how I, I lived a lot of my life. Um, my shame started at a very young age, as it does for a lot of us. You know, we really come into this world as, as innocent children who are, you know, curious and excited to be here. But the first time that we kind of become self-conscious, maybe because we're rejected by you know our peers or by friends or we're scolded or you know abused or criticized by our parents we start to have a fear right we start to have a fear that uh oh is there something wrong with me right is there yeah. something about me that's not right am i not going to fit in am i not good enough so we start asking ourselves these questions and having these feelings that form these fundamental beliefs about ourselves right 
And that's what happened to me from a young age is that I I became very self-conscious quickly that I I didn't fit in very well. Um, I was often teased. Um, I never felt like I, you know, really was able to connect with a lot of kids my age and friends. And I was kind of mocked and and it got to me, right? And I had a, a household that I grew up in where my dad was very absent. He was there, but he wasn't present. Um, very neglectful. He was caught up in his own work and his own stuff. And so he didn't take much time to acknowledge me. And so I, I, I had this shame about, oh, there must be something I'm not worth getting to know, right? So I'm do not- you think, Whitney, do you, do you think that the reason that you were treated like that at school was because you're, you felt like there was something wrong with you because you're, you had an absent dad? Is that where the teasing came from? Like it was, there's something wrong with me. My dad is not home like other people's dads are. And therefore that energy you brought into school with you and therefore that's what happened. Would, would you say that's accurate or something else? I hear what you're saying. And I would say yes, because I think we do. It's just kind of what I was saying. You start to get this concept of yourself and what we believe is sort of what we sort of stream out energetically, right? Because yeah. have you ever noticed that certain people just seem to attract great energy? People like them. People are nice to them. And other people, they might be perfectly intelligent or good looking or whatever, but they don't get the same kind of response. We give out what we have within us, right? So yes, I think that because I fundamentally felt like there's something wrong with me, that that's what I was putting out and people feel that and they say, oh, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's how I was kind of treated. Okay. Okay. So with that experience that you had with your father, um, the, the shame was about, I'm not good enough because I don't have a complete family. Is that where it originated from? No, I mean, I think the shame is just more that, you know, when we believe that there's something wrong, we want to hide ourselves. You know, like mm-hmm. when you think of, you know, like, oh, I was, uh, it was really shameful when I got called out for, you know, breaking the vase, right. In, mm-hmm. in your house, you grow up and like, oh, I was so ashamed. So it's, it doesn't have to be that there's something, you know, that you think there's something wrong. It just has to be that you've, you've gotten this sense of yourself, right? Like, oh, there's something not right with me. So I have to hide myself a little bit. I can't show who I am. I can't be myself fully. I, I think a big thing is I can't trust that I can just be myself and be safe yeah. and feel sure that others will welcome me and accept me because yeah. I've been protected, right? Okay. And it can happen in so many forms. It doesn't, I mean, even people with great parents can still gain a sense. There might, you know, if, if you're a little bit different, right? Our our world is not very nice to people who are different, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's like, you know, the way you look or the way you speak or the way, um, you know, you act or anything like that. If you're a little different, you can start to have shame around that. Like, well, I don't want to be different. Yeah. And that produces shame, which is yeah. so sad because it's our differences that make us so awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. So with you, how did you actually deal with that? What did you do? You turned to what to help you cope with what was going on for you? Yeah. Well, when, I remember when I was younger, I was really angry. I was really hurt. And so hurt hurt comes can come out as anger, right? You can get easily aggravated or irritated. And then, but then as I got older, um, it just manifested as really low self-esteem and self-confidence and a, a deep desire to be accepted and to fit in. And for me, that manifested in developing a eating disorder so that I, I thought I needed to look a specific way. Um, but I also, you know, food became a comfort to me because, you know, going back to my house where I had, a, you know, a father who ignored me or didn't want to give me the time of day and just different factors, it gave me something to, that was comforting and a kind of dysfunctional household. And, but then again, you know, 
controlling what you eat, you feel like you can change the way you look, which also feels like, okay, maybe people will accept me more if I look the right way. And then I so, discovered alcohol. So, and I so sorry, that. just just in terms of the food, sorry to interrupt you. I just want to get clear. So was that bulimia? Was it anorexia? What was it? Yeah, it was kind of a mix. For me, it was mostly bulimia. So for those who don't know, that's when you binge food, like eat copious amounts, just a ton of food and then induce, you know, purging. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that when I was about like 15, I was like a sophomore in high school and I developed a pretty bad binge eating tendency where I just could not stop eating. It was just so soothing. And it was almost a, just, yeah, it was, um, I felt crazy when I was in the middle of a binge, which most people will agree. If you've ever experienced a binge, it's just like something you kind of lose control. And it's like something switches in your mind and there's just, there's never enough. And it's because you're trying to use food to treat something that can't be treated by food yeah. or alcohol or any substance. For that yeah. Matter. And did you tell anybody about that? Did you, did anyone in your life at the time know that you were doing this behavior? It took me a while um, to tell anybody. Eventually I told my mom, my mom suffers from an eating disorder. My mom suffers from anorexia, which is restrictive eating. And she's had it most of her life. Um, so I, sh I shared with her and, you know, she would, we, I went to go see somebody to talk to somebody, but an eating disorder can become very secretive. So I quickly learned that I just wouldn't share much about it with people so that I could keep engaging in my behavior. And so that of course, just built more shame. So that's the, that's the thing with shame is that it compounds mm. itself, right? Like you have the original shame and then you do things to try and, you know, get rid of the shame or feel better about the shame. And that could be shameful itself, right? Because those means are often you know, abusing drugs or alcohol or sex or food or whatever it is, you know, trying to compensate or feel better from the shame. So, and, you know, having an eating disorder is kind of, it feels embarrassing because you feel out of control. You know, I had many yeah. people comment about like, God, you eat so much and like, you're so weird and you're so, you're always eating all the time and what's wrong with you. That made yeah. me feel pretty shameful. Sure. And then you said the next thing for you was alcohol. How did that even start with you abusing alcohol? Yeah. So the first, I discovered alcohol when I was in middle school. So in the, in the United States, that's like fifth, sixth grade. Um, I think they call it year six in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I was about like, I mean, it was a little later than that, maybe like 14 or 15. It, it kind of started the same time as uh, my bulimia, but you know, my friends and I were, you know, we had our, one of my friends had the house to herself one weekend and we decided to get into their parents' alcohol. And I remember the first time I drank, I thought, oh my God, this feels amazing. Like, this is the best feeling ever. Everybody should be drinking all the time. So we just all feel good and more comfortable and have more fun. And I also, um, you know, was kind of a, a risk taker. I always was like a thrill seeker. So I also wanted to be getting into the party scene in high school. And I wanted to hang out with the cool kids and all of those things. And, um, you know, an easier way to do that was to start drinking and partying, which I started doing. And I just, um, I also had very little self-respect, right? I didn't like who I was. I was really mad about who I was. I, I was not who I thought I would be. I thought I would be pretty and popular and loved and have supportive parents, but I felt like I was in a dysfunctional family and unattractive and unpopular and not liked. Yeah. So I didn't know what to do, you know, and there's another layer of shame is, I'm not who I want to be. I'm ashamed of who I am. Even like, no matter the messages I got as a child is who as I am right now is not like, I don't know how to accept it. And that's another thing I think a lot of people experience, whether it's, you know, our gender or our race or our family situation or our financial situation. There's so many things that can make us feel like, oh, this isn't what I want, but it's, there's nothing I can do about it. And so what actually happened with the alcohol abuse? Like how bad did it actually get? 
it got pretty bad. Um, I, so it started at 14 and I got sober, um, eight years ago at 28. So, you know, that's a good, like almost 15 years of drinking. And in the beginning, it was really risky because I would just drink whatever I could get. Um, cause you know, when you're underage, you can't just like be sipping on wine that you bought at the store. Like you, I would, my friends and I would fill water bottles full of vodka and, you know, we would, I drank a whole bottle of vodka, water bottle of vodka one time before a concert. And I was throwing up and had to be like carried out. And, you know, I could have been taken in someone's car or something like the things that they're the situations we put ourselves in when we're trying to escape and to, you know, get away from that shame, um, is, is really scary to think about. So all those moments, Whitney, that happened, usually with, you know, with, with people that I've seen who were my clients and even with my own shame, there's a particular, like, almost like it seems like a catalyst moment where it was like, it, like woke me up out of like, no, this cannot continue. And the yes. same with my clients is that there's always some moment where that was, that was the moment. Was there a moment for you that it was, that you felt so ashamed about your behavior that shook you to your core? And what yeah. was that? Well, I think for me, it was more like a lot of little things that added up to a moment when I was 28 that I said, oh my God, I, this is not the person I want to be. And those moments for me were, you know, when I would get drunk and go home with somebody and wake up and realize that I'd slept with someone that I'd never met and didn't even know who they were. That happened many mm-hmm. times. Um, you know, when I would black out and realize that I tried to drive home and I, one time I woke up in my car and I peed my pants. Mm-hmm. I left my dog. I just gotten a new dog, the dog I have now. And she was a puppy and she was stuck in her crate for over 12 hours and had gone to the bathroom all over. It was just all these things. I was irresponsible. I was, um, unprofessional. I was, um, you know, not very respectful of others. I wasn't considerate because when I used to drink, I would also, I would get in my head, right. I, I would stew in my shame, right. Like mad at the world that, you know, things weren't how I wanted and I hated who I was. And it was just, for me, it was like this fuel of self-hatred when I would drink, but I didn't want to believe it because sometimes drinking was fun, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this toss up when you have a drinking problem. Most people know this, that it's like part of the addiction is it's like this roll of the dice. Some nights you'll have the best night ever and you just keep a good buzz and you're out with friends. Another night, it's like you end up crying by yourself in a closet and you go to that dark place. And I think those of us who get sober, it's because you end up having more nights like the latter, the darker nights rather than the fun nights. And so when, when I um, was 28, I just hit this wall where I'd, I'd moved home to my parents' house because I was finishing my master's degree. And I just like went off and I was drinking almost every single night and I was, you know, sleeping with different people and just all those behaviors I mentioned were just kind of escalating. And I just had this moment one time where this guy had asked me out and we, we went out and, you know, we were at a a amusement park by the beach and he was like holding my hand and I looked at his hand and I said, what's that? And he had a ring on and he said, oh, that's my promise ring. And I said, your promise ring, like for what? And he's like, oh, for my girlfriend. Like, you don't think this is a date, do you? And I said, well, yeah, you asked me out. And he was like, no, this isn't a date. We're just hanging out. And then I was like, okay. And then sure enough, he was trying to make a move on me. And he was just trying to sleep with me because he thought I was, you know, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I just realized I was like, this is not who I am. I don't want to be the girl that guys with in a relationship are trying to take out for a one night hookup. And I don't want to be the person that would ever do that. 
I didn't do it. And that was the last night I ever drank because I woke up the next day and I said, this is not who I'm going to be. I was going to turn 29 soon. And I said, I'm going to be 30. And if I keep going down this path, I don't, I'm not going to be the woman at 30 years old that I believe I am. So that seems and, like that was the catalyst moment, Whitney, that moment that, 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 that person that spoke to you then was really an angel in disguise because he gave you this incredible gift because he he has, he's got this ring on his finger and the ring is not for you because in his mind, you're not good enough to have that ring. And in your mind, you're like, yes, I am good enough to have that ring. And this is not who I am. Who you think I am is not who I am. And you made that decision that, that night. Well, um, then I, uh, well, my story is that I actually, I stopped drinking and then I started taking prescription medication because I thought, you know, okay, well, I still need to take the edge off acting my addiction, my abuse of alcohol. I couldn't respect myself and I also couldn't trust myself. And those were two things that I was not comfortable with. Wow. And that wow. I didn't want that's, to that's, exhibit that, or that, carry that on is, That is longer. a big event and that is a huge realization. So then what did you do with that? And that's when I knew that I needed to make a change because I couldn't keep engaging in behavior that, you know, made me feel like I couldn't trust or respect myself. And so I, I stopped the drinking, but I started doing those and that lasted about six months and I got hooked on prescription pills. And it was such a horrific experience that when I got off of those, I said, I will never just touch a substance again. And that's when I actually went into recovery. I started going to groups. I saw a psychiatrist. I actually, and I saw a therapist, like I did. I actually took it seriously. I think before that, when I stopped drinking, I thought that I just abused alcohol and I just needed to stop that. But once I got into the pills, I realized that it was, it didn't stop there, that I was always looking for something to heal what was so hurting so much inside of me. And so the work that I did and treatment and therapy really helped me to find that pain to, to address the shame. You know, shame is talked about a lot in the rooms of recovery, right? We're all needing to admit and, and, you know, shed some light on our shame because as long as shame lives within us, we're going to engage in unhealthy behaviors and coping to try and coexist with this awful feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, how long did it take before you were able to be public with your shame. So, you know, this is really courageous of you now to be speaking about all the things that you used to do, uh, but you're now accustomed to doing that. But it's a big step the very first time you go public with admitting the kind of behaviors that you used to do. So when was the first time that you actually did that? Yeah, well, so, you know, I did 12-step programs for years. For about four years, I was doing Alcoholics Anonymous. And that was the first time that I spoke out loud freely the things that I'd done. And that was very liberating to be able to speak to people and say, this is what I did. I can't believe I'm saying it, but this is what I did. And people were like, okay, I've done stuff like that too. I hear yeah. you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, this is what I realized on considering shame. I said, this is nothing to be ashamed about. I was doing the best I could to cope with the feelings I had that were so powerful and strong. But at the time, it was the most I could do. So there's nothing shameful about speaking the things that I did, right? Mm -hmm. And if it can help somebody else, then of course, you know, I'll share every last detail if it helps somebody to realize like, oh, is it okay that I've done those things too? Like, can I still be, 
you know, can I still change? Can I still be the person I want to be? Because the answer is absolutely. You know, one thing I really appreciate about AA is it says no matter this term is like, no matter how far down the ladder we've gone, we can always move forward or something to that regard. But the idea that it just doesn't matter. There were people in AA who had killed people accidentally, right? In drunk mm-hmm. driving accidents. Can you imagine that shame? Yeah. And yeah. it just makes you realize that, and because even beyond like childhood stuff, things happen to us in this life that we have no control over that we will hold shame about. But we yeah. we have to set ourselves free because it's part of being human to experience things that we maybe wish didn't happen, but they did. And we can't yeah. just, you know, condemn ourselves to a life of hiding out or hiding who we are, or what happened. Everybody deserves a chance to be forgiven and to share their shame and be loved regardless of their shame. Yeah. What you talk about is like such an important point because we feel like it's so big. We can't share it. We can't talk about it. It's so bad. But the moment that we talk about it, it starts to leave us and other people will say, yeah, maybe I'm not so bad either because I've done worse than that. I've done the same as that. We need to start telling the world who we really are and what we've really done and to differentiate the behavior from the person. So can you tell me what did shame teach you? What were your learnings? Well, it's, I learned that, you know, I learned that it was, it was okay. Right. Something I had a ton, the thing I had the most shame about was um, in the end, it wasn't necessarily, you know, that I wasn't worthy. Um, That kind of transmuted out. I didn't feel shameful about that. I just had to work with releasing that belief. Right. But what I felt shame about was how selfish I had been in my pursuit of trying to feel better about who I was and to try and achieve what I thought I needed to, you know, to release that shame of who I was. Um, And it was really hard for me to accept like how I had treated people and how people might've seen me And so, you know, what shame really taught me was that, you know, it's shame is actually just a natural response to something that doesn't feel aligned with who you are. So it's actually a blessing almost, you know, you just said, Eleni, that that guy was a gift because he Mm -hmm. helped me see who I'm not. Well, so Mm -hmm. is shame. It indicates that the only reason I feel shame is because it's just not aligned with who I really believe I am. So I thank the shame and I say, thank you for shedding light on wow, I'm not somebody who's so selfish that I would choose, you know, my own, you know, gain or my own comfort over someone else's experience or need, right? I want to be thinking of others. Not to say that I'm never selfish. We, you know, it happens. And I still, and now I I check in with myself daily and say, how do I feel about my day? How do I feel about how I conducted myself? And if I feel some shame, because again, it's natural, right? We might be like, oh gosh, I was, I was in such an irritable mood today and I wasn't very nice to that person at the grocery store. And, you know, we kind of sit and say, okay, well, what can I do? The only thing we can do if we can't call that person and say, sorry, is say, I'll try again tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll make more of an effort that even if I'm irritable, I'll be mindful of my words and my tone and how I act towards others. So shame just kind of becomes like this, you know, again, this gift that says, Hey, do you feel out of line with who you feel you really are? Yeah. So what you're really talking about is self-reflection, is just reflecting on the behavior that you had that day. So even after we've had the big shame and we've released it, there's always moments in time when we didn't master that moment. It wasn't our best moment. And so what you're talking about is something that I do every single day and it's so important is that self-reflection, like look back on the day, maybe you didn't say that, 
the, as loving as you could have. Maybe that action was all about you and not about everybody else. Whatever it was, reflect back. Don't take it as if, well, that's who I am. And like you said, tomorrow is a new day. Tomorrow I can do it better. Yes, definitely. And that was another big thing that I had to learn over the years is that who, what you do is not who you are. Oh, and also mm-hmm. what's happened to you does not define who you are. Cause that's another thing that will keep people in shame as if, and you know, this is um, particularly pertinent with people who have experienced abuse with their abuse yeah. as a child. You know, I work as I specialize in trauma as a therapist and if people have been abused, they hold a lot of shame and that's such a tragic shame because it literally, they had no control over it, but there's shame around this. There is a secret I have of something that happened to me. Right. And so what I always work with on people is that you are not what happened to you. And we don't have to hold that with us. We can release that experience and find acceptance of ourselves, no matter what we've done or what's happened to us. Yeah. That, that reminds me of a story that happened in the States. Oh, I don't know now how many years ago it's been, but there was some, a man who kidnapped some women and they ended up finding the women underneath the house and, um, you know, one of them, when she came out, she said, that de- does not define me. That story does not define me. And it was said with such conviction and such empowerment. It was like, it sent shivers down my body. And it was like, wow, after being kidnapped for so many years and being mistreated and abused, she's standing up and saying, I am not a victim. That does not define me. And um, that was a huge, huge you know, impactful story about, you know, looking at the situation, but not accepting that that will define who you are, where you're going, and whether you're a victim or or not. And the other thing is, is that I have a firm belief that all our challenges, particularly our very, very difficult challenges, they lead to why we're here on earth. The reason that we're here. And so the funny thing is, and the paradox of it all is that we feel shame for something that we're actually, actually was supposed to have happened to us. (laughs) Your dad was supposed to not see you. Um, You were supposed to be addicted so that you could then fulfill this mission that you have on earth that in terms of helping everybody else. So tell us, does that resonate with you? Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. And that's been the gift, right? Of my spiritual journey is, is that exact understanding that, you know, there's a phrase that, um, you know, I've sent you nothing but angels and blessings, right? Everything that every situation that comes into our life is a blessing, no matter how it looks. I know that's really hard to hear and it's been hard for me, right? I still have things that I still fight about, like that shouldn't have happened. But the truth is that literally everything that's happened to us is for a reason. It's a catalyst for our growth as a, a soul right? And you, and growth never doesn't happen without challenges, without, you know, that, that grit and those things that really make you grind and challenge and think of yourself differently. Right. Exactly. And and that's, and I remember hearing that and I, I had that realization where I thought, oh my gosh, um, my dad acted exactly as he was supposed to. So here's the thing is that I have no one to be angry at. And that's Mm -hmm. where you shift from the victim mentality, because when you have shame, you can also feel like a victim. Like, why did this happen to me? I'm so shameful around this. I'm so hurt from this. And, you know, what I would offer anyone, because again, I've been in the trenches of this and it's not that easy. Like it's, I don't want it to sound like, oh, just change your mindset and it'll go away. 
talk to people, read about it, learn about the practices you can do to actually incorporate and integrate that. that. Cause the thing is, what's amazing is that it, it is truth. So once you can grasp that concept, it's like a switch flips and you're grateful for it. I bless it. It was perfectly orchestrated. You're like, oh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not even mad anymore that that happened to me. I'm just as I wanted. No victims here. No problem. Yeah. And then you can transfer that thought process to everything that happens in your life. So every single catalyst that occurs in your life, it's like, okay, what do I need to learn my, about myself in this situation? So, so tell me about that moment where you decided that this was going to be, you know, the purpose, the mission and how that transpired. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was, um, a few years ago that I was, you know, I was still really stuck on some things and, I, I, that was really my spiritual awakening was about like four years ago where I went from just trying to excavate and heal the pain to realizing, wait, there's also a whole nother perspective here that takes me from the ground level into like a more, a higher level, right? Feel this way. They don't have to see life this way. If we shift our beliefs, our experience of life changes. Everything that happens to you, you're okay. And there's no, you can have your feelings, but in the end, there's no need to regret or feel guilt or grief. We experience things, we reflect on them, yeah. we move on. It doesn't, you know, define us. But instead, you know, people have their lives destroyed because of the guilt and the shame they feel around stuff that they believe, they believe didn't have to, and it wouldn't have happened. Those are all ideas that are lethal. lethal. They'll take us out. It's what can cause people to drink themselves to, to death or to, to end their life because it's too painful. Yeah. They really believe that this should not have happened and you're the one that messed it up or that something happened to you. And if, you know, that you're a victim. And so these things are, are lethal. So once we change our belief about it, our experience changes, we can still have the experience, the feeling doesn't mean we're not going to feel any sort of way, right? Some sadness some grief, some loss, but then if we're encouraged and embraced to move on from that and embrace our growth, we don't have that deep shame that truly is toxic. Yeah. And so now you're basically helping the people. So you're, you're basically helping your former self, which is what happens with therapists is that we help our former selves. I know that the first person that, you know, the first types of clients that I helped with when I first became a therapist was, you know, overweight, depressed women. And sure enough, that's who I was. And so we, our challenges become our superpower because we get it. We understand it. We see them. We see these people. And more importantly, we see who they really are. We see their potential. And so we see where they're suffering and we know that we can help them, you know, um, leave that place and find a more empowering place within themselves. So they're the ones that connect to that power that they've always had within themselves so what kind of work do you do now that supports people who suffered like you suffered well as you you know introduced me I, I specialize in addiction and eating disorders and trauma in my work as a therapist but I also you know that's why I started my podcast is because I want to speak these ideas I want to put these you know out into the airwaves and hope that it'll land on the ears of individuals who are feeling like they don't know how to ever resolve the pain or the rejection within themselves that don't know why they're self-destructing in many different forms, why they keep having the same cycles over and over, why they can't seem to learn to love themselves or accept themselves. 
And so I speak to that and I speak to women like yourself. Conversation is powerful, right? You generate together knowledge and wisdom that people can listen to. And, you know, because it, it's what really helped me in the early stages. I've had things, we all know this experience where somebody says to me and it just like sparks something in my brain where I think, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And that makes me, I, I think of, um, it's almost like in this lifetime where, you know, when you have like a bunch of jewelry and your necklaces all get tied up together. It's like we're slowly pulling apart each little thing when it comes to forgiving and releasing. It's like we're slowly like, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. Oh, wait, it wasn't my fault. Oh, wait, that wasn't wrong. And all of a sudden you're free, right? You've untangled it. You've untangled this misunderstanding, this misconception about who you are and what happened to you and what it meant. It didn't mean anything. I love that jewelry analogy because we all know the pain of trying to unravel some sort of necklace. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So tell me, you know, because, you know, quite often we have this image that, okay, that person had addiction and they suffered and they had trauma and then they found their way out and now they're in this completely other, complete other place. But the fact is that there are fragments that come back sometimes and we have to then unravel them because there's a never-ending layer that we discover that we need to unpeel. There's the next layer, there's the next layer, there's the next layer. So what's the next layer for you? What's going on for you? Wow, that's a great question. I, I think for me, there's still, um, there's still stories I tell myself, right? I, I've had a strong sense lately. And I think it's, this is going on for a lot of people right now because this time, um, you know, in the world, astrologically, in a lot of ways, there's great transformation happening and transformation doesn't happen without letting go of the past. Right? So even if we've healed and even if we can, um, you know, see that we can embrace our ourselves and release shame, we can still tell ourselves a story. Well, this is never going to work out for me. Well, I won't ever have this and I'm not good enough to do this. And these stories hold us back. We can't, and it's, it's not only, a disservice to ourselves, it's a service to the world because the world needs every single one of us to allow our gifts, to allow our superpowers to come out, right? We worked too dang hard to get them. We had to go through our life to get these superpowers. We got to use them. So right now I'm on that cusp where I'm ready to take off with my superhero cape, but I still have these thoughts that say, no, you can't. And you're, you know, you your past is still with you. And you said it's layers, right? So you can do a lot of work, but sometimes you'll still find your 10 year old self crying in a corner, feeling like they are rejected and not accepted and not like everybody else. And you have to keep going back and welcoming them in and saying, no, 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 you're loved. You're okay. There was never anything wrong with you. Let's go. You know, I always think of when you've heard of inner child work, right? I think of it as it's like, you're collecting your whole you know, team of yourself, if that makes sense. Like you at every single age in your entire life, you all have to move forward together to really take off. You can't leave any part of yourself behind. Like, oh, you can't come, right? You were, I'm too ashamed of you. You're too embarrassing. My 12 year old self, 14 year old self that got bullied, right? You go back and you welcome those parts forward and you all walk forward together and think about how powerful that is. You know, it's like this big old giant team that's ready to, to share their gifts with the world. So that's where I am. Those last little parts where it's like, how can I stop? Because here's the thing. It can get a little bit indulgent sometimes to have self-defeating thoughts to say, well, I'm not going to even go for it because I'm not like them. I'm not impressive like that. 
and it's hard nowadays with social media, right? There's so many people out there doing beautiful work and putting their voice out there. And it's hard to not say like, well, one, they're already saying it. So who needs me? But also like, I'll never be as good as them. But it's, it's not true because every single voice that shares these ideas has a different a different tone, a different message, a different way. No two are alike and every single one is needed. And that's what I remind myself of. Absolutely, because two people might be saying exactly the same thing, but one person, you don't know why, annoys you. <laughs> and the other person you can't, hear, you know, you want to hear more from. And so it's it's all about resonance. And that's why we have we all have to share our voice and we all have to speak up. It's been amazing speaking with you today, Whitney. It really has. And um, I'm going to put on the show notes as to how people can connect in with you. You've got a beautiful podcast that I was lucky enough to be a guest on, which is the Awaken Women um, podcast. And yeah, is there one last thing you'd like to say? Yes, this just came up. But just on the note that you said, I would like to encourage everybody that, you know, when you do become a super, have your superpowers, you know, superheroes are not concerned with the opinions of others. They know their mission. They're doing their thing. Once you step forward and bring your gifts, there are going to be people who are like, she's annoying. I don't like her. She's this, but there's going to be other people who say, thank goodness for her. Thank goodness for them. I love them. So know and honor yourself so much that we can let that fall away know that we're not for everybody and that, but we are needed for certain people. So keep going, keep walking your path, even if whoever out there right now, if you're doubting it because somebody said something or you got that, you know, you got that jab of shame, right? Because that happens in daily life. I've had times where I released a podcast or something and somebody said a rude comment and I thought, I'm giving it all up. You know, I'm done. I get that shame shot, that shock of shame through your body where you think I can't do this. This is too painful. Keep going. It'll pass. And remember your bigger purpose. It's to bring your superpowers to the world. Beautiful. I absolutely love that. And um, what you said was is just so, so on point because, yeah, there will be people that will actually um, say comments that you take personally and then you think, well, should I be doing this? Yes, you should be doing this. And um, just keep going, keep being you keeping uniquely you the world needs you and the world needs you too Whitney and very grateful for everything that you've done and everything that you're doing and the beautiful work that that um, that you are doing very grateful for you and um, yeah thank you so very much for coming in here today bye everybody thanks for tuning in to the shame game we hope you loved it and if you did please subscribe to the podcast we would so love it if you also share it with your friends until next time Remember, you are not alone in this journey. We're all in this together and we are all worthy of love and belonging. And also, remember this, you are not your shame.